All right, guys, so we're going to look today at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Now, let me just kind of help you to understand. Most of the New Testament letters, well, most of them are written by Paul. There are the general letters written by either James or Peter, someone else, Jude. Most of them follow a similar format. Now, there are a few that don't. For instance, 1 John doesn't. That seems to be more of a circular letter. Uh, when I say circular, it's kind of something that was written that was passed around. But the reality was all the letters were passed around. And so these letters, when they were written, they were first written, written to the Ephesians, but then they were shared with everybody else. And before we, quote, got our Bible in 300 AD, the churches shared these letters, okay? So they follow a similar format. And how they follow, and this is how you write. Now, we write, dear so-and-so. Then we got our body, and at the end, it's, you find out who writes it, unless they got a header on the top of the letter. In the, the ancient culture, it was, this is Paul, I'm writing you. And then it starts out with, the, with our letters, a time of praise, usually it's a praise towards God. He then expresses a prayer request, praying for whoever he's writing for, and then he gets into the body of what he wants to go through. And so this is typical for most of the letters. <clears throat> so... What we're going to look at today is the praise. And here he actually puts a lot, maybe 10 verses into a praise towards God. And he's going to be praising God for what we will call the divine blessings. You may not realize it because you're thinking, you know, I wish God would bless me. Well, you've already been blessed. And you may not know exactly how, but we're going to talk about it today in this letter. So I want you to notice with me, we're going to read it together. We're going to start with verse 3, going through verse 14. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as the sons, as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the Beloved, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him, we also trust, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation, in whom, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, that's a lot there, so we're going we're to spend the rest of our time talking about that, okay? So the first thing we're going to see is, is that in verse 3, there's a praise for God's blessings, okay? A praise for God's blessings. So the Apostle Paul expresses a blessing for God who is the Father of Jesus Christ. So he's going to start out his letter by blessing God, the Father, who is the Father of Jesus Christ. Now, the basis for this praise is because God has blessed believers with every spiritual blessing. God has blessed you and I as believers in Jesus Christ with every spiritual blessing. Now, we sometimes forget that. Or we don't realize that. And so when you go out there in the Christian world and you listen to different teachers, there will be guys out there that you need to seek a blessing from God or you need to, you're not truly blessed yet until you do these things. All of that is bogus. It's not right. Why? Paul is praising God for blessing you with every spiritual blessing right now. Or, or should I say, the moment you came to Christ, you were blessed with every spiritual blessing. I don't know if I agree with that, George. Well, that's why we've got verse 14, excuse me, verse 4 through verse 14. He's going to tell you exactly how you were blessed. And he's going to divide it up. We can divide it up into three sections. We can see the blessings of the Father. Okay, so God the Father has blessed you. God the Son, Jesus, has blessed you. And the Holy Spirit has blessed you. Each person of the Trinity has blessed you in a specific way. And when you realize what these blessings are, you're going to be like, wow. Now, the problem is, is we sometimes think in terms of blessing as, how big's my wallet? Or how healthy I am? And that's because we've been influenced by guys on TV. Do you know what I'm saying? Or by our culture of materialism and so forth, where we judge people by how well they're doing. But God doesn't see things that way. He sees things completely different. And when you look exactly at what his blessings are, you might be shocked and amazed. So that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time. So let's start with the nature of the blessings. We see that in verse 4 to 14. But let's start with the blessings of the Father. Verse 4. Look at what verse 4 says. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. All right, so let's talk about this. First of all, God chose believers to be in Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of folks, when they read chapter 1, they get fixated on one term. Actually, there's two different terms in this passage that people get to start focusing on here. Anybody have a clue what it might be? Okay, predestination is one. What's the other one? Look at verse 4. 
It freaks people out when they see this word. I hear it. I hear a whisper. Somebody said it. They're, but they're not sure. But you, you're right. Say it out loud. Chose, Rob, even you are being timid today, and I don't know why, okay? Chose. Now, why do we get freaked out about that word? All right, takes control out of our hands, okay? Anybody else? Bruce used the word predestined. He uses that in this passage as well. Why do we, and, and when you talk to people, there are, there are certain Christians who get, that's where they get so focused on, is the predestination, did God predestine us? Did he predestine people to hell? Blah, blah, blah. Okay. All right. What we're going to see is, is while he mentions those terms and they reflect the truth, that's not the focus of this passage. And I think, all right, so there was a, there was a 14th century uh, spiritual writer by the name of Thomas Akempis. He was a monk who lived in a monastery, worked in... A, uh, in the kitchen. And he wrote a very wonderful classic of imitation of Christ. And he talked about imitating Christ in your life throughout the day. One of the things he said was, is you can walk through the forest and miss the trees by focusing on the stumps. That's a pretty powerful point, right? You can walk in the forest and miss the trees by focusing on the stumps. And I think when we read this passage, you're going to see here in a moment, you can walk through this passage and miss the point of the passage by focusing on the stump. What's the stump here? The whole predestination issue. Because people will go grab a doctrine and say, well, he chose us and he didn't chose others. That's not what this passage is saying. It does talk about choice. He chose you. I think everybody already knows that, right? But let's look at why he chose you. This, the issue is the passage tells you why he chose you. Now, just to kind of put everything in perspective, does God exist in time? All right, you, you're whispering now too, Sam. No, Sam says no. Why do we know that God does not exist in time? All right, he is eternal, but what else, why else do we know that he doesn't exist in time? Anybody else? How, how about if I help you? Genesis chapter 1. Who created time? God, remember it says in Genesis chapter 1, it said the, the, the light and the night and the night and the day and the night were one day, right? He's, he's the one who created time. So the one who creates time is not bound by time. Why do you think he's called the ancient of days, who was, who is, and forever will be? He exists outside of time. So God exists outside of time. So the past, the present, and the future are what? All the same to him. So how, so when you get that into perspective, that helps you understand the choice issue a little bit, doesn't you? So before the foundation of the world, for us, he made a predetermined decision concerning what was going to happen to us. And that's what we're going to see here in this passage. So let's talk about it, okay? Let's keep going on. So the Lord made this choice before the foundation of the world. So he made a choice before the foundation of the world. All right? Because he's the one who created it. He didn't just milly-nilly decide to do something and didn't know what was going to happen with it. He knew what was going to happen with it. Okay? He chose believers that they should be holy and without blame before him. 
okay, now this is what we're missing. We're focusing on the stump of the choice, but the forest is something even more beautiful. What did he choose for you? For you to be what? Holy and without blame. Thanks for being loud, bro, okay? Everybody else is like, you know the answer, but your coffee is in the back, folks, okay? And it's not bad today, you're saying. The coffee's not bad today, Rob? Okay, thank you. All right. All right. You've got the Rob Long endorsement on the coffee, folks. Get you some, okay? All right, now. He chose before the foundation of the earth that all believers were to be what? Holy. Separated to him. Consecrated. And not just that, without what? Blame. Is that not an awesome thing? Think about that for a moment. When it's just you and you're looking in the mirror, a lot of us see regrets. A lot of us carry shame and guilt because of what? We make what? Wrong decisions, don't we? We make wrong choices. And he chose before the foundations, of, which meant before you were even born, that he wanted you to be consecrated, set apart for him, and to be without blame. Wow, isn't that awesome? That's a blessing, isn't it? Do you understand what I'm saying? That, that is a blessing. So to holy means to be consecrated, devoted to God, okay? So here's the other thing. This is where the big word predestined comes in. God has marked believers out, that is, predestined. Predestined means to be marked out, okay? He has marked out believers to be his what? Adopted children. So before the foundation of the earth, again, let's quit focusing on the stump. Let's talk about why and what it's for. The, the reality is, is he has predetermined, marked you out before the foundation of the world to be his what? Son or daughter. Is that not awesome? He, he has marked you out to adopt you. To adopt you. That really gives you a, a whole different perspective. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So this was done for believers in accordance with God's purpose and will for us. So all of this, choosing you so that he, before the foundation of so that you would be blameless and holy, predetermining, marking you out, predestining you so that you would be his sons. This has always been his will. This has always been his purpose. Do you understand? This is not an afterthought. Oh, by the way, yeah, we'll, we'll take care of him there. Yeah, you know, I've got other plans going on. But, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, I think we could save them. It's not what I was really intending. 
No, that, we don't need to wrestle with that. God is saying what? Paul is saying, praise be to God for the blessing of knowing this is what he always wanted for us. This is what he always wanted for you. Now, let's stop for a moment. How does that impact you if you think about that? That it was always his will that believers should be his children. Something special to them. How does that make you feel? Because don't we wrestle with that sometimes? God, do you really care about me? God, God, are you really... I mean, surely you're disappointed with me. You're in a perpetual state of disappointment with me, God, because I'm always messing up. Re really, think about it. It was his will, always, his purpose for you to be what? His children. To be holy. Blameless. That just blows our mind. That just blows our mind. And that's what we see here, and I want you to see. So this was done, why? This was done for the praise and glory of his grace to believers. So this was done for praise, for his glory. God did this so that glory would be given to him praise. Why? Because we recognize that. Man, that is so awesome. Because does that, anything of what we just talked about have anything to do with you? What you're doing, what you're not doing? Do you understand what I'm saying? The, the reality that he is, he is predetermined before you even existed that you would be his children, that believers would be his children, that believers would be blameless and holy, accepted. Does that have anything to do with you? No, not at all has nothing to do with us. We weren't even on the scene yet in, in our time existence. Okay? But remember, according to him, he exists outside of time. So then later, when we get a little bit further in the message, Paul talks about you and I being seated in heavenly places right now. How can he say that? We're seated at Kerwinsville Christian Church at 700 State Street. Are you seated in heaven right now? No, right now, I'm right here. But Paul says, you're presently seated in heavenly places. How can he say that? From the perspective of God who exists outside of time, you're already there with him. Isn't that awesome, a thought? Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? So, here, so let's move on. So now, we're going to talk about the blessings of the Son. Okay, so let's talk about the blessings of the Son. First of all, he's made us acceptable. Let me just stop. This is back to the blessings of the Father. Through his grace, believers have been made acceptable in Christ. Through his grace, believers have been made acceptable in Christ. Now, if you want to, I, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, I would encourage you to... Put a star by verse 6. Why? Because the number one thing we struggle with is whether or not God accepts us. And we struggle with acceptance with God based on what? 
Why do we struggle with thinking that God accepts us or doesn't accept us? Okay, because of our own actions. And if we get a little bit more specific with that, we would say because of our sins. Somehow we have entered into a mindset, and it's not somehow, we're culturally conditioned. So for instance, from the moment that you were born and you could walk and you began to understand right and wrong, whatever age that was, I think it's actually a lot younger than most people think, um, you were making decisions and, and not making decisions. And, and part of the whole discipline process of, you know, little Jimmy, if you're going to be good, then you'll get your popsicle. So little Jimmy has to be good in order to be what? Accepted and get his what? Popsicle. Isn't that how we're trained? And when little Jimmy does wrong, Jim, little Jimmy faces the consequences because he's not accepted. It's not accepted at that moment. Do you understand? And we're, we're trained that way. How's that work? Go to work. As long as you're producing, you become acceptable to the company. And if you're not, well, they used to. They might fire you now because they can't find anybody to work. They just kind of bypass you and get somebody else to do it because they don't want to lose another employee. I mean, it's, the reality is, is we got this acceptance thing going on in our culture. We're conditioned by that. And we bring that over into our relationship with God, thinking as long as I'm doing the right thing, he accepts me. But if I do wrong things, he doesn't accept me. Isn't that how we think? But that's not true. The blessing is what? Through his grace, through his grace, you've been made acceptable to God. You've been made. You've been made. Now, who makes you acceptable? Yeah, Jesus, God, has made you acceptable. You can't make yourself acceptable. We already know that, right? Because you can't do anything to gain salvation. What makes you think that you can do anything to make yourself acceptable to him? Man, what a blessing. You're still acceptable to him. All right, so now we get to why, and that is the blessing of the son, okay? In Christ, believers have the blessing of being redeemed by his blood sacrifice. Now, in Christ, you and I have been redeemed by what? His blood sacrifice, by his blood, by his blood sacrifice. So we have been redeemed by his blood sacrifice. Now, what does that word redeem mean? Well, redemption conveys the idea of freedom that resulted from the payment of a costly price. So oftentimes you will hear, how many of you have ever heard in Christian writings or on the radio or something talking about you and I being bought on the slave market of sin. Kind of the idea of like in the ancient world, they would put a slave on a platform and the highest bidder would buy that slave if they were in a culture where slavery was. And you and I were on the slave docket, we were on the sin docket, we were on the sin, slave to sin, and Jesus paid the price the most precious price, how? With his blood, with his sacrifice for us. And so a lot, of, a lot of the writers, devotional writers, especially in the last couple hundred years, would often reflect on that. That's what redemption means. It means to redeem. 
We understand redemptions by going to the store and you redeem a what? Coupon, right? Okay, so you understand. Well, Christ has redeemed us. How? With his blood, okay? With his blood. Here's what else he's done. In Christ, believers have the forgiveness of sins. Now we have the forgiveness of sins in Christ. And it stands on its own. You don't need to do anything for the forgiveness of Christ. If you are a believer, you have it. Do you understand what I'm saying? You have been forgiven. All right, let's go on. The basis for the redemption and the forgiveness is the richness of God's grace. So the whole thing of being redeemed, the whole thing of being forgiven, is because of the richness of God's grace. That's the basis, okay? The basis is the richness of God's grace, period. Now, what's grace, George? Well, it's unmerited favor is what the theological definition. I used to say it's getting what you don't deserve. It's actually a little bit more than that. Unmerited favor is it's something you can't earn. It is the favor of God towards you that you in no way could earn. Nothing about you merits grace. He gives it to you. And through that, you have what? Redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So here's what he says. Christ made that grace abound towards us in all wisdom and understanding. So how does he make that grace abound to you and I? He makes it very plain so that you and I can understand what? The basic truth that should be evident in all believers' lives you are saved not because of yourself, but because of who? Jesus. So it never has anything to do with you. Wow. It's not because you came from the right family, or you've been going to church since you were a baby, or this, that, or another. Do you understand? None of that has any spiritual merit. There is no such thing as spiritual merit. Do you understand? So Christ made grace abound towards us in all wisdom and understanding. Here's what else Christ did. Christ also made known to believers the mystery of his will. The mystery of his will. Now what exactly is he talking about, the mystery of his will? He's made known to us what his plan is, what his, his, his decision was, something that was hidden from the Old Testament saints when we read through the Old Testament. This was not evident what he was thinking, but it is evident now in the New Testament. And here's what it was. He made known his plan to bring both Jew and Gentile into fellowship with him. That's the mystery. The mystery is going to be talked about one more time in Ephesians. And it has to do with what? That there's neither Greek nor Jew. There are now one. All of us being believers in Christ. And he made that known to us. Now, 
With that reality comes this. God has chosen or appointed believers to an inheritance. So beforehand, again, before the foundation of the world, he's using that term, that's not focus on the stump. The stump is predestination choice. Quit looking at the stump. Look at why he's doing it. So that you and I would have an inheritance. And there's a whole lot more to the inheritance than what some southern gospel music will tell you is your mansion in the sky, okay? There's a whole lot more to that. By the way, I don't think it's a mansion. That was a King James interpreter who wrote that. It means dwelling place. It's probably an apartment in his house. Well, I don't want to live in an apartment. Trust me, an apartment in God's house is going to be a whole lot better than the house you're living in right now, right? Okay. And by the way, when you're there, you're not even going to worry about that. Okay? Our corrupted values will be gone, and we'll value something more. Because think about it. I do, I do remember one writer said, if you think about it, gold is so cheap in heaven, they use it for asphalt. Isn't that something? Yeah. Okay? All right. Now, the, this was predestined in accordance with Christ's purpose to fulfill his will. His will was for you and I to have an inheritance. Okay? An inheritance. Now, let's talk about the blessing of the Holy Spirit, and that's two verses, verses 13 through 14, and uh, that's where we're going to spend the last few minutes of our time. Okay, so first of all, in verse 13, Paul points out that we trusted in Christ when we heard the gospel, the word of truth. Isn't that true? You came to faith when you were shared what? The gospel. Who's the gospel? Jesus. All right? Now, once we believed, here's what happened, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Once you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. All right, so does everybody understand the moment, the instant, the second that you, whether it was the words coming out of your mouth or the mental decision that before you made the words come out of your mouth, I'm not going to get into the introspection of exactly when, but the point is, is at that time, who entered into your life? The Holy Spirit entered into your life. Do you understand? The Spirit of God entered into your life. Why? Because here's what he did. He sealed you. Sealed. Now, this is reflected in Acts 1.8. But you shall, Jesus was telling them, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me to in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the world. Now, <clears throat> the word seal means a form of identification to authenticate. Now, you'll see the word seal used in the Old Testament, and you'll see the word seal used in the New Testament. Where will we see it? Well, in the book of Revelation, 144,000, they are sealed. They are marked out as belonging to God. In the Old Testament, particularly in the, in the book of Exodus, when the plagues were happening, at first, the first few plagues, the Jews experienced those as well, but later on, it was specifically towards the Egyptians because... God had put a seal upon who? The Jews, the Israelites, so that they would not experience what? The plagues. 
Only the Egyptians would experience them. You and I have been sealed. We've been marked out. We have been identified through the Holy Spirit being within us as being what? God's children. Being saved. Okay? Being saved. Now, this, it is a once-for-all act that gives believers continuous assurance that they are God's children. You don't ever have to question, do I belong to God? Because the fact is, it was already decided the moment you gave your heart to Jesus because who entered into your life? The Holy Spirit. And he sealed you until the day of redemption. Isn't that an awesome blessing? Okay, but that's not all he does. He's a guarantee. What is that? The Holy Spirit is a guarantee of the believer's inheritance in Christ. You and I have an inheritance that we're going to receive. How do I know that? Because who lives within you? The Holy Spirit. I can't think of a better guarantee, right? Now, I remember in the late 70s and the early 80s, there used to be, remember commercials? I mean, I think we're all old enough to remember how TV was back then. This is before cable really started. I mean, I think it just started happening, but remember the commercials that would come on? And do you remember the commercials for Ginsu knives? Cut through anything, cut through a can, and then cut through a tomato like that. My mom bought that, and there was, it was that lifetime guarantee. I don't think she has those knives anymore, but I don't know anybody, I don't even know if that company exists anymore. So that guarantee means what? Nothing. That's what we operate with, right? Because you and I, we get something, boy, it's got a guarantee, and then you read the guarantee, it's really not a guarantee, right? That's how we've been molded by our culture. But don't think of this in terms of how our culture sees it. The reality is, is you are guaranteed an inheritance. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives within you. He is guaranteeing you. The guarantee is based upon who, folks? God. Now, is that not a blessing? Because the guarantee isn't based upon what? You. We hear people all the time, yeah, I was in the will until my daddy wrote me out because I didn't do something right. God's not writing you out of the will. You're getting the inheritance, okay? So this guarantee is in place until believers experience the fullness of salvation. You know, you're saved right now. Yes, you are being saved right now, but the fullness of salvation comes when? When you go to be with him. That's when you will experience your inheritance, okay? So you're guaranteed until that time. All right, anybody got a question? Got a couple of minutes here. That was the blessing of the spiritual blessings we've been given. Isn't that a great lesson? When you think about what God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has done for you, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, have you not? 